0: everybody has a story to tell a time in your life where something unusual happens something that cannot be explained and it changes your life completely the world seems different you see the battle between light and darkness and you realize life isn't as random as you thought that there's someone out there, always beside you, constantly cheering you on. He is everywhere, He is everything. He is the great I am, and we call Him God of Miracles. I am Sonny, and this is one of His stories. Trouble in my way, trouble in
1: my way, I have to cry sometime, I have to cry sometime. Trouble in my way, trouble
0: in my way, I have to cry
1: sometime.
0: This soulful voice belongs to Cheryl Miles. I met Cheryl in February 2020 in an Uber in Houston, Texas. It was her birthday, my, my, and we instantly goodness. connected.
1: I stepped in the furnace, stepped in the furnace A long time ago, long time ago Cheryl and Meshach mm, mm, and
0: Bendigo mm. When Cheryl says she's been through the fire, she means it. At an early age, Cheryl trusted the wrong people. She was heavily into drugs, prostitution, and went to prison several times.
2: It's, it's, it's to a certain point where you, you, know, you talk to God in your situation. You have a breaking point, you know? You have a breaking point. I think every man has a rock bottom. I know I did. I had a rock bottom. But that rock bottom, it, 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 it paid off because here I am today. Hey, people going to talk about me, they're going to say I'm crazy, this, that. I don't worry about what people say. I know people need to hear this. I'm alive today, you know, only by mercy and grace because demons, they are real and they were in me. Anything they ordered me to do, that, that was I was separated from the light of Christ. I was in darkness.
0: Cheryl's story starts in Vicksburg, Mississippi. She lived there with her mom and dad. Her parents had five children and Cheryl was smack dab in the middle. I have to say that
2: we weren't rich. We lived in a small country town. And I never will forget the teachings of my mother. The main thing she told me was, in all things put God first. We went to church Sunday, Monday was prayer meeting, Tuesday was choir rehearsal, <laughs> Wednesday was Bible study, <laughs> and uh, we had to uh, go to everything that church had. I'm so spiritually inclined the way that I am is because I knew God at a young age.
0: Tragedy struck Cheryl's family when she was only 3 years old. She didn't know what was happening at the time, but later she was told that her father pulled out a gun and shot her mother 5 times. Her mother survived, but the family was in shambles.
2: My aunt and my uncle, they practically raised me until I was about 12 years old. I didn't really understand what happened with my mother. All I know is that I was separated from my sisters and my brothers, you know, and I was an only child with my aunt and uncle. I can still remember the address, 1718 Openwood Drive. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I had my own bedroom with two twin beds in there. But one day, I was in that room, and it was just a a huge light came in the room with me. That's what it was. And it spoke to me. It spoke to me at a young age, you know, like it didn't tell me its name, it didn't tell me stuff like that. It played with me. It made me laugh. You know, just as demons are real, angels are real too. And I think it was something special in that room with me and it spoke to me and it told me that it would it would stay with me. That forest became my my best friend.
0: When Shera was nearly 12 years old, she went back home to live with her mother, who was now married to her stepfather Ernest. Technically, the family was back together again, including her siblings, but something still felt off for Cheryl.
2: We were reunited, and I was so happy. I was so happy, but there was something missing uh, between my mother and I. That, and I had to learn to talk to my mom because I, I you know, I, I had I had never been around her to talk to her so i didn't know how to go to her with my personal things like you know female things and stuff like that wanting to have a boyfriend all that stuff that i i never went to my mom for any of that i think that i was about 14 years old when uh i started to kind of grow up or something you know i had my first boyfriend i went against everything my mama told me and I ended up pregnant. I was uh, 17 and in the 11th grade. When you got pregnant in those days, they put you out of school. So I was dismissed from school. And I was so ashamed because it was my graduation year. That took a big toll on me too in my life.
0: Not feeling comfortable at home, Cheryl ended up back at her aunt and uncle's home to finish her pregnancy. Cheryl gave birth to her daughter, Andrea, a month before her 18th birthday. She and her daughter stayed in Vicksburg a couple more years, but eventually Cheryl had an itch to go somewhere else. The Big Easy.
2: I love everything about New Orleans. At the time, they had the World Fair going on and a lot of my schoolmates were going to New Orleans to work in the World Fair. And I got a job real fast there blew my mind.
0: Cheryl got a job at the Hilton Hotel. That's where she met Travis Madden, although that wasn't his real name.
2: I think that was the first demonic spirit to enter my life. I was still that loving, sweet, living by faith girl. I knew nothing about uh, smoking weed and I knew nothing about heroin. I knew nothing about cocaine. I knew nothing about drugs. All I knew was to go to work and make some money and pay the bills and, you know, and buy food, you know, and try to, you know, keep my head above water, you know, just just survive, that's it, you know? I didn't know nothing about hustling. He was, that man was abusive to me.
0: The next part of Cheryl's story may be tough to hear but it explains how abusive and dangerous the situation with Travis had become.
2: He went out one night. I was at the house with my little girl. I felt like I wanted to get out, you know what I mean? I didn't feel like I had to ask him, could I go anywhere or something like that, you know? So I went out, I got uh, one of my neighbors to, I paid her to babysit my baby. She was a Christian girl and she lived next door to the house I was living in. And I went out, I had a great time. I just, I really didn't know where I was going because New Orleans was still kind of new to me. But you know, of course, New Orleans have bars on every corner, churches on the next corner. You know how they do. I just went from bar to bar, just, you know, just dropping in and dancing a while, you know, and stuff like that, you know. I was going to pick my daughter up, but I spied him I could just look at him and tell that this wasn't gonna be nothing good so i started running and he ran behind me and he caught me when i tell you this boy beat me oh my god kicked me um beat me to the ground and start kicking me and all that you know and then uh told me go get your daughter you know i was afraid i was afraid i i just bit my tongue you know and he went in my purse and stuff and. The money that I had, he took it. I didn't want to say the wrong things because I didn't want to get beat up any worse than what I was. But I ended up going to work with that black eye. It was just crazy, you know? He was just, it was like he was angry all the time. I was tired. I was tired and I wanted him to go. I wanted him just to leave me alone, you know what I'm saying? I never hurt anyone in my life but him, I was ready to hurt him because he had beat me to that point. I retaliated. You know, he was speeding me in front of my cousins. My cousins, they were trying to stop him, but he pushed me on that couch. And when I land on the couch, those pillows popped up and they had a ice pick in the crack of the couch. I, I was angry, I was out of mind, and the fight was going on, and I, I just grabbed it. And when I grabbed it, I just started stabbing him, just start stabbing him, you know? At this point, he see, oh, okay, she fight me. She, she's gonna kill me if I don't get away from her. But he was arrested that day. This guy had drugs on him and he had syringes. So he was a drug addict, but I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know nothing about that. He was a junkie.
0: Cheryl was now 22 years old. She was no stranger to hardship. Remember, her mother was shot when Cheryl was just a child. She got pregnant and had her own baby at 17, and she became the victim of a severe case of domestic violence. Things were already getting dark. And then Cheryl met twin sisters, Sherelle and Chantelle Thompson.
2: That's when it all started happening because Sherelle and her sister Chantelle, they were street women, you know, because I watched them with different men. I never questioned them, hey, what did you do? I didn't question them. I became a hustler. I went out, I slept with different guys and stuff like that. Some of them gave me money, some of them I slept with them just because I liked them, you know?
0: Cheryl's life was spiraling out of control. She had two more children, a boy and a girl, while she was working the streets. The boy's father paid their bills and helped care for the kids, while Cheryl was out hustling,
2: I don't even know at what point I lost control of my own way of uh, making decisions in my life. You know, uh, I started making a lot of bad decisions. You know, my quote-unquote friend Sharon McKinley. Uh, I used to go to her and talk to her because I couldn't talk to Chantel and Cheryl because they were always busy. Just one particular day, you know, I was like crying and going through things or whatever. I just was venting. And she took the pipe and a lighter and she just put it in my mouth. She said, I'm tired of you being um, depressed. She said, hit it, hit it like you hit a, hit a joint or something. So I did. And when I did that, I didn't tears dried up. I didn't feel nothing, you know what I'm saying? Uh, No sorrows, no hurt, and I wanted to stay like that.
0: And she did. Cheryl numbed the pain through sex and drugs. There's a span of about 10 years that even to this day is a bit of a blur to her. Eventually, she lost her kids.
2: I was a junkie. I was a dope thing. And uh, I couldn't take care of my kids. I often say, oh, they didn't have to take my kids, but they went into my home. I wasn't there, and everything was nice in my home, but I didn't have food in my house, so they called that neglect. The state stepped in, and they had my kids removed from me. I had a house. My kids weren't there. I kind of really lost it then after that. Started smoking more, started drinking more, on the street more, started standing on corners. I was on the corners with high heels, short skirts, and stuff like that, selling my, selling my body. And then I was also, you know, running a lot of game. I was robbing people, whatever it took for me to get some money. I was uh taking wallets, taking pistols, uh, started selling guns, and oh my God, you name it, I was doing it. If it's illegal, I was doing it.
0: Cheryl was practically unrecognizable at this point. The young girl from Vicksburg, Mississippi, who grew up singing in the church, who was so full of faith, seemed to be gone. Replaced by something very dark. Her name was Pearl.
2: Pearl encountered me, I think, the first day that I smoked crack. I think that was the door that was open, and Pearl walked in. She grew inside of me. She took over. She her thinking took over. That wasn't me, you know. And I, but I I couldn't stop. Her. I couldn't stop her. When, um, ever I came down enough to feel anything, that's when it would be like Cheryl, you know. Tr- you know, transforming back to Cheryl. And Cheryl was felt sorrowful for the things that she had done, but. When I smoked a piece of crack, Pearl take flight. Pearl would take me in dangerous situations and uh, places that I could get killed and stuff like that. Places Cheryl would normally go. Cheryl, sure, ah, no ma'am, I'm not going in there. I'm not fixing to do that. Oh no, you know. But Pearl was like, "Let's get it. Let's do it. You know. Let's let's do this. You know. I would, she was invincible inside of me. When she came out, she was invincible. I chose to name her Pearl. A pearl is a beautiful gem, okay, but it lives inside of an oyster to destroy the oyster. When the pearl is plucked out, it it becomes a beautiful gem. And an oyster has a fight with that pearl inside of the shell. This describes this demon pearl, this, this monster that devours me. I named that demon Pearl. She wanted to kill me. I had to fight. I had to fight had to, at first. I didn't know how to fight her. Every time I went to prison, I did more and more time. There wasn't anything that, that any way the Pearl can destroy me in jail. It was God's way in my life saved me. I feel like that. And I oh because like, a lot of the girls that I was out there with, we were doing some of the same things. And every last one of those girls got killed they're never gonna go back to their children. I always had hope to be with my children. I can remember early in the morning, like, you know, school times, I knew where my kids went to school at and I used to be outside the school gate watching them. You know, I I really wanted a normal life with my kids and I wanted it back again. I I just said to myself one day, I'm gonna have my kids back again. My life is gonna be back again. And I, I just kept that hope, you know. I had just gotten out of of prison from doing 30 months and I was on the street and I don't even think I lasted three days on the street before I went back to jail. I could have did a lot of other things while I was back there, you know, they got stuff going on in the jail. But I chose to, you know, to pray, and I chose to go to church, and I chose for to have the evangelists pray over me, and I became a jailhouse choir director. A lot of good things were happening. When I got out of jail, February 24th, 2003, At one point, I was under the bridge with everybody else, you know, the homeless people. We hustle, you know. It's like a real world under the bridge. At this point right here, I was tired of being in the street. Around 4 o'clock in the morning, I guess, you know, I, I, I woke up and everything was quiet. And I was just looking around. And I had been talking to God at that time, too. I just said, I don't want this no more. I don't want to do this no more. You know, I'm tired, you know, I just want a real life, you know. I heard the voice, you know, like the light that I told you that was in the room with me when I was a little girl. I saw that light again, under the bridge. I saw that light, you know, and I started giving away everything I had, you know. Only thing I had left was just my little backpack with all my little personal stuff in it, you know. But everything else I had, I gave it away. I gave away my drugs and um, the, the smoke tools. I gave away everything. I didn't want to do it no more. And I just just heard a voice say, "Leave." It say, "Leave," because you know they were laughing at me. They were saying, "What? Why are you giving your stuff away?" Because I don't want to do this no more. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm tired. And they were laughing at me. Oh, <laughs> you you'll be back. And by the time I made it from under the bridge, walking through the trail, the sun was shining, and it was shining so bright I couldn't even see. I couldn't even see. I was just—I didn't know if I was going or if I was coming. All I know is that something got to happen. Something got to happen right now. And when I crossed the street to the next block, that a, a metro bus stop right there, it was like the bus was sitting there waiting for me. It was like it was waiting for me. And I rode, I just rode, I just rode.
0: The bus's final stop was at a hospital. Cheryl got off the bus, walked into the hospital, and asked for help. That was the start of Cheryl's recovery. It didn't happen overnight, more mistakes were made. But I can tell you firsthand that the person who went through hell on the streets of New Orleans was not the person I met in an Uber in Houston, Texas. Despite the spiritual battle she's been through and continues to fight, Cheryl has a beautiful soul because she's found the truth, and it changed her life. I'm happy to tell you that Cheryl's children are back in her life again. She even has grandchildren and Cheryl found true love. His name is Thomas. They host an online Bible study together, and they absolutely adore each other. Cheryl has written two books so far, detailing her struggles, hoping to share the truth with others. You see, you never know who's going to cross your path. Had Cheryl and I not met in that Uber, we probably wouldn't have met at all. It just so happened that I was creating a podcast about miracles, and Cheryl had an amazing story to share. Was it coincidence? I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in the God of miracles. Trouble in
1: my way, trouble in my way. I have to cry sometime. I have to cry sometime. Trouble in my way, trouble in my way. I have to cry sometime. That's all right. That's all right. I know that Jesus, He will fix. My, 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 Jesus, he will fix after a while. I stepped in the furnace, stepped in the furnace, a long time ago, long time ago. Shereck and Meshach, mm-hmm. and the go.
0: Has God given you a miracle? Share your story at miracles at godofmiracles dot org.